The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of the Lord. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Are you sick? It's not easy to say, yes, I'm sick. Let me illustrate. Some, sometimes pastors get asked to visit non-members who are terminally ill. I've made more than a few such visits in my days as pastors, and I usually ask somebody who is dying, regardless of whether they're a member, whether he or she believes that he or she is a poor, miserable sinner. You're familiar with that language because we say that in church. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you, and so on. When someone has never heard those words or been absent for a long time, those words seem to strike them as being overly harsh. More than one such person has responded to my question by saying, well, yeah, okay, I'm a sinner, but I don't know about that poor and miserable part. And I appreciate these folks' honesty. They're only saying what we all probably would say if we hadn't been trained to say otherwise. People usually aren't afraid to admit that they are sinners in general. I've never met anyone who says that he or she is perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, but everybody wants to believe the best about themselves too. Okay, fine, I screwed up, but now I'm on the right track. Maybe sometimes we feel very strongly that we are indeed poor, miserable sinners. That can happen when sin is hot and fresh and stinks to high heaven. But with the passage of time, that can kind of wear off, and we forget about what we've done. Moss grows over the sin so that we don't see it so much anymore. Plus, we can usually find some other poor schmucks who are worse off than we are. I've never murdered anybody. I've never smoked crack. 
I drag my butt out of bed so that I keep my job and not everybody does that good. Plus, you might think, I go to church. That's getting rarer and rarer these days. And not only have I gone to church, I go to the right church. Thank you very much. My church is in the right synod. My church doesn't do bad stuff like other churches do. So come to think of it, I'm doing all right. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But I can find a whole bunch of other people who are poorer and more miserable than me. And this kind of reasoning doesn't sound too bad. It doesn't sound too evil, if for no other reason, it's so common. Nevertheless, it reveals that we are much worse off than any mere murderer or drug addict justifying yourself by always being on the lookout for others whom you suppose to be worse than you is a very serious sin. It's a sin against the first commandment. You become your own justifier. You are your own God. This is a sin that's worse than the sins that you might want to judge in other people. Sins against the fifth or the sixth or the seventh commandment. You believing in your own goodness and righteousness means that you are spiritually sicker than those whom you might be judging. Now you probably have a hard time believing that and I can sympathize because I have my common sense and reasoning just like you do. And if I were to put one of you fine, upstanding churchgoers next to some troubled soul and ask somebody, which one of these two is better? They're going to pick you every time. And so it was at Jesus' time, though, too, one time, Jesus told a group of fine, upstanding Pharisees that tax collectors and prostitutes were going to enter the kingdom of heaven before they ever would. The Pharisees were quite diligent, lawful people, more so even than we are. And if you put one of those fine, upstanding churchgoers next to a thug or some lady of the night, which one would appear godlier? Common sense gives you the answer. But Jesus means it when he says that tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees. The outside might look as good and respectable as can be, but inwardly they, there can be the most devilish things spiritual sins that common sense and reason aren't very good at understanding. And there's nothing more devilish than pride. Nothing describes the devil better than pride. And there's nothing more devilish than pointing and sneering and accusing and judging. Something that we can see from our gospel reading today is that Jesus is very different than us. Jesus is good 
and kind. He doesn't point and sneer at sinners. He doesn't say, oh, look how sick he is, how disgusting. Imagine if there were a doctor doing that kind of thing, going from one room to the next in the hospital and pointing at all those poor, sick people and laughing at them. Oh, how sick you are. You are so sick. Look how sick you are compared to me. I'm so well and you're so sick. I think we might wonder whether such a physician was more profoundly sick than the patients that he's supposed to be treating. But Jesus is a good physician. He helps people who are sick. He isn't disgusted by them so as to avoid them. He goes to Matthew, for example, and says, follow me, even though Matthew was a notorious sinner. And Jesus stays with some tax collectors and sinners at his house and he eats with them. When we consider Jesus' kind actions towards these folks, it is important to know why Jesus did what he did. Jesus did not associate with these notorious sinners because he just loved how tax collectors abuse and manipulate and screw people over and take their money. Jesus also doesn't love how the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or any of the other commandments get broken. He doesn't love any of those destructive and sinful things. Jesus is the enemy of these things and he wants to set them free from them and he does. He forgives their sins. They were sick unto death with unrighteousness. They were poor and miserable. Jesus made them well, giving them his own perfect righteousness. Now the Pharisees were concerned that Jesus was being too nice to these people who weren't doing right and living right. And that's understandable from a certain perspective. These Pharisees were concerned about the example that might be getting set here. It might appear to some that Jesus just doesn't care about sins. It was like Jesus was saying that sins don't matter. So the Pharisees thought Jesus should shun them and not have anything to do with them. Otherwise, people might just think that it doesn't matter whether a person sins or not. Now, as I said, the Pharisees' line of reasoning would be valid from a certain perspective. And that perspective being if there were no cure for what ailed these people, then Jesus should probably stay away. Imagine a doctor who uh, there's a case that there's nothing that can be done. It's absolutely impossible for anything to be done, but then the doctor goes in there and pokes and prods and feeds them pills and slices them open and does who knows what. That, would, that wouldn't do anybody any good. In like manner, if there was nothing that Jesus could do for these spiritually sick people, then all that Jesus probably would accomplish would be to desensitize people to the seriousness of sin. But Jesus is able to help those who are sick. 
Jesus can help people who are very, very sick. They can be downright poor and miserable. In fact, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, your spiritual condition is so bad that you were, quote, dead in your trespasses. And then he goes on, but God, because he is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Death is not too great of an obstacle for our great physician. If that is so, if Jesus is such a great physician that he gives life to sinners who are so bad that they are dead, then in the midst of sinners is exactly where this physician should be. The Christian church is a spiritual hospital. Sick people belong here. And if you don't want to be a sinner, then you're in the wrong place. And you have no business being together with this physician. If there is one thing that I hope you take away from our gospel reading today, it is that your spiritual sickness is not an impediment to you being saved. In a way, it's actually true that sins don't matter. Sin or the relative lack of sin isn't why a single sinner is going to be saved. God is the justifier of the ungodly. You're not the justifier of yourself. We can see this in our gospel reading. Jesus called notorious Matthew a veritable tax collector to be his disciple. Jesus says very plainly, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What does he want to do with them? Save them. Your salvation does not depend on you making yourself well. Your salvation depends on the skill and the power of the great physician. He simply says, follow me. What does that mean? Listen to me. Listen to my words. Believe me when I say something. The first task and almost the only task that the Christian church has is to speak Jesus' words of forgiveness to poor, miserable sinners. So let me conclude with the question with which I began. Are you sick? Usually we like to cheer people up and politeness almost demands that we say, well, you're doing fine and you're getting stronger and you're getting better. But we know that being polite and being truthful are not always the same thing. Although it might not be altogether polite, I hope that you feel worse about yourself than when you first came in here today. I hope you see that you are poorer and more miserable. On the other hand, I hope that you see how good of a physician Jesus is. 
He's so skillful and mighty that he can even raise someone who is so sick that they are even dead. Maybe when you came in here, you weren't thinking about how poor and miserable you were, but also maybe you weren't thinking about how skillful and mighty Jesus is. Following Jesus, clinging to him, is how you will receive eternal life. Jesus is how you will stand in the judgment and be welcomed into heaven instead of going to hell, which is what we all deserve. Jesus makes us well. Please stand for the blessing. Now the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may you be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who is faithful has called you. He will surely do it.